0: This sponsor is the Texas investment firm, Boardwalk Wealth. If you want passive income from commercial real estate, then you need to connect with their founder, Omar Khan. Visit boardwalkwealth.com ilab to learn more. We'll tell you more about them during the break. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks and I'm Johnny FD. We're self made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology
1: to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard earned cash.
0: Hey, bosses, and welcome to episode 143 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Johnny and I am somewhere in my new luxury office. And Sam is still back in. Uh,
1: flo- are you no wait? Are you in Florida or are you in North Carolina now? Wrong, wrong, wrong. All wrong. All wrong, Johnny. All wrong. I don't know Guess how again. you would have escaped
0: from anywhere, but on the video I saw you wearing a Siberian USSR fur hat, so you must be somewhere cold.
1: <laughs> I am somewhere cold. Uh, it's spring in South Carolina, and you occasionally you get these these wicked storms that blow through, like last night and I woke up freezing. So I put on our uh, my Siberian hat from actually I got this with you Johnny when we were in Bulgaria on that trip I, up I, Eastern Europe. Yes, i
0: I remember that. I'm very fond of that that trip and I and I miss <laughs> doing our summer trips together. Like Sam and I uh, yeah, since we since we met. Yeah, we, we've always done a summer trip somewhere in the world and that was our first one was across Eastern Europe by land. And Sam had lost his luggage, or the, the airline has lost his luggage, so he decides to start buying a bunch of souvenir stuff to replace it, including that hat.
1: And the funny thing with this stuff, Johnny, I had this in like my collectible safe at my parents' lake house in South Carolina, and just recently, I went to a, a military shop in Barcelona, and I showed him photos of all this stuff, and he's like, yeah, that's fake, yep, that's fake, 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 fake. So I'm like... <laughs> i got all these fake collectibles in a safe, <laughs> and now that I know they're fake, I have a, all this stuff out that I'm just using in the daily life here up in South Carolina.
0: Yeah, that's good. <laughs> At least you get to enjoy it, because I didn't know how yeah. real that
1: was stuff <laughs>
0: that the the relics were, but...
1: I mean, they looked old, so... Whatever. It looked real. Yeah. It yeah, fooled me. I was going back to buy even more, but now I know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of getting fooled, the
0: uh, li- nice luxury... Uh, European background I'm sitting at is actually my new Zoom background, my new Skype background. And I'm still sitting in the exact same place I've been for the last four weeks in this little
1: apartment (laughs) by the water here in Sri Lanka. So I, I was completely fooled. Johnny took this, had this fake Zoom background on, which looked like a luxury apartment in Ukraine, which is where he's supposed to be now, but he can't get out, right? Uh, so I was like, "Are you in Ukraine?" I'm so jealous. How did you escape Sri Lanka and get there? And then all of a sudden, Johnny went, and the background switched to a new luxury <laughs> apartment. And it reminds me that actually, I think I've been fooled by this multiple times in the last couple of months with people on Zoom, where I'm like, "Wow, they got a sick office," uh, and I think it was just a fake backdrop that complements of Zoom.
0: Yeah, and the technology is getting better and better. Where you know, having a $9,000 apartment, maybe it's no longer worth it to, to impress people
1: unless they actually come over. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that I can hear the birds chirping behind you, now I know for sure. Yep, you're in Willigama, Sri Lanka. <laughs> yeah, it's always so, a giveaway. <laughs> yep. I can't shut them up. Um, I'm, I'm indoors
0: too. and But you know, these birds, they're they're not just normal birds, they are beautiful parrots. Like most of them are green. But I've seen some yellow ones and blue ones. These are these are birds that people would buy for, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars, like elsewhere.
1: And I have mm. just dozens of them in front of my, my door every day. Let me ask you, Jai, where was that photo that you just recently took in the bathtub, outside bathtub that would look pretty pimp?
0: Yeah, that that was another trick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? I have no photos to put on my Instagram because I haven't been traveling. So I've been going through all my old photos that I've never posted. That was actually taken in Tulum, Mexico at Pablo Escobar's old, old, old mansion.
1: No way. Mm. Baller. Yeah, that was a cool photo. I was like, damn, I'm, I'm jealous. But actually, yeah, I would have been really jealous if it was last week and I was still stuck in the box in Charlotte. But since I've gotten out to the lake house, I'm feeling like a $10 million – uh, property in New York that's listed by uh, Saren.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And you know, the fact is that now, like, I, I think that's the, the, the biggest, I think that's the best move possible is to spend, you know, your time in big cities like Manhattan or in Barcelona if you need to do business deals. You know, so go to Hong Kong for the weekend, do your deals, but then escape to the lake house and just. Relax, you know, spend time with family, with loved ones and just chill out and live a comfortable, easy lifestyle
1: whenever you can. And we've talked about this, Johnny, and, and we're still navigating this through all the, the episodes and learnings that we've had on this podcast. But you said it to begin with, and I agree That's man, bust your ass in your teens, 20s and 30s. Make it and then chill the F out. Do what you want, but don't feel like you have to be compelled to live in a city to make money. Visit the city to make money or live in the city because you love it, but have those options. And I'm feeling that right now, sitting at this lake house in South Carolina while everyone else is in relative quarantine in the big cities. And here they have, you can still play golf, go out on the lake every day on the boat. There is, it's like nothing has, nothing has even changed in this community. Uh, I don't live here, but it's just my parents. My parents have had this place for Several years now and man, it just reminds me of what a great escape it is in any time, good times or in uh, more troubled times and definitely enjoying the freedom now. So I have noticed that
0: our parents' generation, I mean maybe – have they figured it out better than us and we just haven't figured it out yet because it seems like they all have the idea of having a summer home or a lake house. I know uh, Ryan, this week's guest, you know he has a great place in New York but he's also escaped (laughs) – to his parents lake house to just relax and there's so many people who are stuck in cities and condos and apartments you know even really nice luxury apartments that don't want to be there because they want access to the outdoor space
1: yeah absolutely i think traditionally you know most people there, there was a lot less travel a lot especially a lot less air travel so people would have a house in the city where they had to work and make money And then they have a place that's maybe two hours outside, two-hour drive that they can use every single weekend. It's close enough uh, and enjoy. But I think for us, Johnny, especially you and I in our our lifestyles, we just want maximum flexibility. So having two different apartments uh, within a couple hours of each other just comes with a lot of overhead, right? Or two different properties comes with a lot of overhead. And I think later in life, that's something we'll probably definitely enjoy having. But maybe right now it's doesn't justify the uh, the added overhead.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if it ever will. Especially nowadays, it's so easy to rent a place for a weekend, either on Airbnb or you know these other kind of vacation rental sites that just wasn't an, an option in our parents' generation. So I really, am very, very curious if with our generation, you know, which are basically the millennials, and a lot of people forget that millennials are now in their late 30s, <laughs> you know, I think I'm the, <laughs> you know, and Growing it's, fu- yeah, it's, it's funny that, you know, people will sometimes refer to like the young kids, like the 20 year olds as millennials, but they're not, you know, they're the next generation, whatever that is that I think there's two new generations below us. Now there's like the, uh, yeah. gen Y then gen Z and with our generation, you know, people are turning you know 38, 39, you know, at the, the upper end of the millennials and in the lower mm. end, they're 30. And we're the ones, you know, who are either going to follow in our parents' footsteps, or we're going to use, you know, this new way of living to say, you know what, maybe we don't want to own real estate. Maybe we want to rent it. You know, maybe we don't want to own a summer house or a lake house. Maybe we would rather, you know, rent it or travel to, to another country and use location arbitrage to get one even cheaper.
1: I have it even better figured out, Johnny. We don't want to own it. We want our parents to own it, and we just want to use it. I, I think that's a big part of it as well. <laughs> Put it all in my mama's name. <laughs> yeah. So
0: we're going to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, talk actually a, bit, a little about real estate and see what's been going on, but also just kind of see behind the scenes. Because, you know, Ryan is a really famous guy. You know, he was on Bravo's uh, Million Dollar Listing New York, and he had a spinoff sh- show of his own. And you know, even on YouTube, he has a huge following. But I'm really excited to hear from from Ryan, and you know, kind of see behind the scenes of what it's like doing a billion dollars
1: in in real estate every year. Yeah, I'm pumped up, man. Ryan is the man, and also we haven't really touched luxury real estate as a topic yet. And I know it's not directly. Uh, related to investing and making money, but it, it is in a lot of ways. And we keep hearing this come up uh, in different episodes. On our family office episode, we're talking about luxury real estate and how it plays into these these kind of center millionaires' lifestyles. And it, just, it, it struck me as something that we need to understand better. We need to understand the business side of luxury real estate. What is it like buying a $10 million property? What is it like selling a $10 million property? What are the carry costs involved? And it really makes a massive difference where in the world you own that. That's something that we've explored a lot on this episode. Uh, I have properties in Thailand, a couple in the U.S., and, the, and the, the overhead of carrying these properties on a yearly basis is immense. And just exploring what is it like to own property in a major city, a major hub like New York. And I just find it fascinating. It's something that I've always been interested in, even as a, as a younger kid, but never dove into that much. Obviously, a lot of money to be made in selling real estate and some of the platforms out there like Zillow, etc. So I'm pumped up to have one of the nation's most uh, proficient people in real estate on the show, Ryan Serent. Um We'll talk a little bit more about some of his credentials in the outro, some of the books he's written, his shows, etc. He's a really interesting guy. Hey, and he's also a millennial. So when we talk about millennials, you know, we're talking about people that are, are running a big portion of the business interest in the world right now. We're not talking about the kids that are, um, that are uh, you know living in their basement like I am right now in, at the lake house in South Carolina <laughs> during quarantine. <laughs> but the millennials are growing up uh, and they're playing a major part in the global economy. So I'm excited to have Ryan on and, and hear more about what luxury real estate economics are. Yeah, me as well. So without further ado, here's Ryan Serent. All right, guys, we're back. Ryan. Great to have you on the show. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of our listeners already know about you. It's great to have you on. And I would just—I know you got back into real estate back in 2008. We're going through a crisis right now, and you got into real estate in the previous crisis. So, uh, interesting times, but first circle, right?
2: You know, it's funny though. Like when I when I got into the business, uh, literally the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. You know, I was. It, it was the worst time, but also the best time to get into it because I had no responsibilities. I had no bills, you know, like my biggest bill was my rent, which was eleven hundred bucks a month. Um, and I saw all these other salespeople and business people, my friends, who were really, really hurt, right? All of a sudden they lost everything. Their home prices were were screwed, you know, they they lost their homes. And I just remember thinking, wow, I never want to put myself in a position where that could ever happen. I want to be real lean and real conservative if I can be fortunate enough to to build some sort of business. And you, you never think another downturn is going to come. Like we all know that downturns come. Like we all know it. And we all know that it's probably every 10 years. But we all behave as if they're never going to come. And then when they come, we all freak out like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. And it's just weird. My life was just so different in 08 and 09 compared to what it is now. And I'm like, I wonder what myself 12 years ago would have said to me today. <laughs>
1: my. I mean, how do you even get started in real estate in, in 2008? Like, what do you do to, to, to ignite your and start off your career there?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I didn't get into it to, to make it my career. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a choice, right? I had run out of money and I lived in New York city and I knew I wanted to stay in New York city because I knew that no matter what I did here, that was better than moving home with my parents. You know, <laughs> I kind of made a decision when I was, when I was a little kid, like, I just want to grow up and be successful. I don't know mm-hmm. how I'm going to do it or what I'm going to be successful at, but I'm going to do everything I possibly can and work my ass off to be successful at something. I thought it was going to be as an actor. I I mean, that's the one thing I ever kind of liked was being on stage, being in front of a camera. Um, And I came to New York City to try that and it didn't work and I ran out of money. And so the choice I had was, okay: become a bartender, become a waiter. Uh, try to go back to school and take on debt, right? Maybe switch careers, try to go to law school and take on debt. Do temp work, you know, I had a lot of friends who mm-hmm. are like temp assistants filling in here and there. Or do what a lot of people do, get your real estate license. It's super simple and rent apartments in New York City. You know, New York City is 70% rental. Um, you rent an apartment or two a month and that pays all your bills and then you do whatever you want with the rest of your time. And that's that's what the sell was to me. So when mm-hmm. I got into it, I was just looking to rent some apartments and I, I didn't have any context. Everything was, was, wasn't, there was, there was no relativity for me. Like I, I just sort of assumed this business is really hard. You know, everyone lies to you. No one has a job. Uh, People pull out of deals left and right, and it's really hard to find new clients. And that's, that's how I started. And then I just slowly over time realized, well, that's (laughs) not all totally the case, but I'm actually really thankful that I learned in that type of environment because it helps mm-hmm. prep me for what we're going through now and it helped make me very, very um, thankful for, you know, good times and good markets and good clients.
1: Yeah, right. What comes first when getting started there? I mean, did you, did you first try to go out and get the buyers or the listings? How do you, what kind of comes first in getting that whole path started? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Listings terrified me. I mean, th- so that was the one thing I definitely didn't want to do. I, I didn't really, you know, want to become a, I didn't want to hold listings. I didn't know how to talk to sellers. I, I was 24, right? Yeah, I was 24. So like, I didn't really think that I was equipped at all. I didn't really view myself as a professional. Like when you're 24, you're kind of like, you know, like you're still mentally in college, you know, you're still mm-hmm. mentally in your parents' kid. You're just sort of figuring it out because, like, what's the worst that could happen? You lose all your money and you move home with your parents. You know, like that's, you know, now at 35, I can't imagine ever doing that. That would seem like a total failure. But then, not that I wanted that to happen, but that was very much, you know, that was that was my fallback. Um, and so when I got started, it was just post ads on Craigslist of apartments that I was allowed to advertise. People would call or email and say, hey, I'm looking for a two-bedroom for rent starting July 1. Does uh, that thing I saw online, is that still available? And I'd say yes or no. And then I would meet people on a corner. My pocket would be full of keys um, <laughs> and little maps because there's you – know, I didn't have an iPhone. so And I didn't know how to get around anywhere. I'm not from New York. So I'd have little maps in my pockets that I'd like look at on the side so no one would see. I was lost all the time. Um, and I would just go meet people and try to rent them an apartment. That's like – I was, and I made nine, I love nine grand my first year. It was the hardest $9,000 I've ever made in my entire life.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love the early hustle stories. I wanted to give, you know, obviously you've got, come a long, long way since then. And I wanted to give the listeners just a little bit of kind of a one-on-one understanding of luxury real estate. I see a lot of the listings you have kind of in the, or properties that you market are in the kind of $10 million on up range. I guess you consider that luxury real estate. I don't know if you have a different range for what you would consider luxury listings or not?
2: Yeah. We basically look at it as everything below and everything above 10 million bucks, mm-hmm. you know, in New York, honestly, and I know it sounds crazy, but like five to 10 million is kind of a regular person who's just done well. Right. <laughs> and that's, uh, uh, and that's just New York for you. Right. It's just crazy. You know, and I mm-hmm. honestly, you go to Hong Kong, I talked to brokers in Hong Kong. I think that sounds crazy. And in Hong Kong, they're like, Oh no, well, you know, $50 million purchase in U S is someone who's done well. So it's just, and in, you know, Oklahoma, it's 250 grand. So it's just, yeah. it's, it's just all relative. You can't hate it, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, what, what, is, Ryan, what does the fee structures look like when on the buy sell side, when you, when you say a $10 million listing or $10 million property, what, what kind of mm-hmm. fees do the buyers incur or the, and, or the sellers incur when buying a property like that?
2: Uh, in New York uh, specifically, because every city is totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're buying a property uh, at ten million dollars, you are going to pay a mansion tax, which was just raised actually. And to be honest, I don't even remember what the new one is. It for the longest time it's been one percent of everything over mm-hmm. a million. So if you're buying something for ten million, you're going to pay a hundred grand. Now I want to say it's three percent, so you might have a three hundred thousand dollar tax. It's something like that. It's gone up. Okay. Um, and then you, uh, if you're getting a loan, um, New York City is a bit intense. They charge you a a, a mortgage recording tax. Two percent of your loan amount. So if you're yeah. going to buy a place for ten million and you're going to put two million down, you know, twenty percent. You want to borrow eighty percent. You're going to then, on top of that, mansion tax. You got to pay a two percent tax on eight million dollars um, to the city as you know, like the tax to the city for allowing you to get a loan on a property in New York. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, you know, you have board packages, board fees. You know, there's. You know, if you buy, if you go to Hudson Yards, for example, right, Related is the developer there, you know, one of your fees that you have to pay when you buy into those buildings is a six-month common charge fee, um, which goes towards the reserve fund for the building to use in emergencies. So if you're buying a $10 million apartment and your monthly common charges are $10,000, another check you got to write at the closing table is for 60 grand, and that just goes to the building. You'll never see it ever again. Um on the sell side, when you're selling in New York City, your biggest fee uh, is going to, and not not taking capital gains into account, okay, um, mm-hmm. is going to be the brokerage commission, which will be between 5 and 6%. Um, the standard is 5 And then on top of that, your big ones are the New York State and New York City uh, transfer taxes, which combined roughly equal about 2% as well. Um, And so, you know, we tell sellers if they're selling something, be prepared, you know, to write off 8% off that sale price, right? That's going to be your net and then whatever you Mm -hmm. you owe your bank or, you know, if you bought this place in 1960 for $5 and you're selling it for 10 million bucks, you know, there's a capital gains tax on that. Uh, which is going to be very very hefty so we work with sellers to figure out different ways to to lessen their tax burden you know if you move out of the property and rent it out for two years you can claim it as an investment property in 1031 that gain into something mm-hmm. else so on and so forth but those are the main fees
1: and then what is the what's the split between the broker the brokerage and the actual agent typically
2: so if it's a you know 10 million dollar property let's say Let's mm-hmm. say it's a six percent commission typically in new york uh the buyer is represented by an agent and the seller is represented by an agent and so it's three percent and three percent so if i'm representing the seller the brokerage commission on a 10 million dollar sale is three hundred thousand dollars um we have a closing like that tomorrow actually at 224 mulberry street 10 million bucks our commission is 300 grand um and uh and then everybody has different splits with the house you know, mm-hmm. it's typically it's somewhere between like 60 and 70%. And you're paying the house or the brokerage company a percentage uh, to advertise, right? They take care of mm-hmm. the brokerage company, takes care of all the marketing, all the advertising, the websites, the IT costs, the the photos, the floral plan costs. Every I mean, it is a massive amount of money that sure. they spend. And so hopefully you sell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I heard... Bezos. Well, actually, I know it's confirmed that Bezos just bought this 165 million dollar mansion out in L.A. I think it's the biggest house out in L.A. And rumor yeah. has it that he didn't use an agent. Um, they just basically got him the guy's yacht, negotiated the deal right there. But yeah. yep. I, I would assume that's a fairly rare event. And I just wanted to get your opinion on it and, and know some of the reasons why you should use an agent uh, and a broker for for these larger deals.
2: Uh, yeah, I wish Bezos would have called me. that would have been great. Um, I don't know him uh, but that would have been awesome. Uh, I mean it's yeah, it's rare um, but off-market transactions happen all the time and listen, billionaires hang out with other billionaires right because misery loves company and Bezos and Geffen, okay who he bought that house from, they like they're never gonna complain about their yachts to people that don't have yachts. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're both people that love trophy properties and have trophy toys and, uh, you know, own Picassos and Monet's and all that. Like they you hang out with people that uh, have similar interests to you and are in your same uh, wealth group. Right. Um, and so it's really important when to remember that when you're trying to network. But anyway, so, uh, you know, they did that deal privately because they could, you know, because that's who mm-hmm. they are. And you see that in New York all the time. Um but listen, we always tell people you want to use an agent when you buy because it doesn't cost you anything. You're not writing a check to that agent when you close. It's not like in London where you'll have to pay You know, your estate agent at closing separately. And it's not like a commercial deal where you have to pay your agent if you use one. Um, the seller pays it. And what we tell all buyers is the seller is going to pay a commission whether you, you use me or not. So it's either all going to go to one guy whose fiduciary responsibility is just to the seller and not to you. Okay, that's with regards Mm -hmm. to the information they give you, the way they treat you, the due (laughs) diligence items they give you, um, or you bring me in and I'll go to battle for you. Like I will take a bullet for you. And if this is a bad purchase, I don't care about the commission. I care about you and our relationship. If you're going to buy something, you'll buy it through me tomorrow, next year, whatever works. But I want to make sure you're protected because more often than not, when people go unrepresented into transactions, Mm -hmm. they end up buying something thinking they're a genius and then they didn't realize X or they didn't realize Mm -hmm. Why? Because no one told them because no one had to. Right. If I am representing you, I have a fiduciary responsibility to you to tell you everything about that property, to walk you through the entire due diligence. You know, if we don't do an inspection, you can't blame yourself. Now you can blame me. So now they're like, I've got liability. Um, And would you go into battle by yourself against a seller who has one agent, if not two, an attorney, if not two, all lined up against you? Like, I don't. I wouldn't do that. That sounds like an unfair battle.
1: Well, I've I've heard actually we we had an episode a couple months back with a guy that ran a bunch of family offices, and he was saying that the biggest mistake that the new money clients run into is they come in, they have a big windfall, of sale of a business, massive inheritance, some sort, and they all rush out and buy these McMansions, and yeah. that the one of the biggest issues is they're excited. They go in, they just, they buy it and they don't realize that, 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 that they'll never be able to sell it that quick. And so a lot of times they'll yeah. buy it. They get bored of the house in six months. Yeah. They want to get rid of it. And there's just no way that they can get what they paid for it. When it comes to these, these kind always. of higher ticket, oh, yeah. Is, is this a pretty common event?
2: Yeah. I mean, you have these, you know, and so sometimes sellers can get lucky. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have a big ticket item, either a spec house, something special, and someone just comes in and buys it and pays a number that they'll never get again because they don't care uh, until they do care. Um, uh, But then oftentimes, you know, sellers will have these properties that then don't sell. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you know, at the same time, like we were selling a place, um, you know, in L.A. Right in Bel Air, originally listed for originally listed for two hundred and fifty million dollars. You know, then we brought it down and brought it down and brought it down, brought it down to one hundred and eighty-eight million dollars. There's a property tour on it on our YouTube uh, vlog page if you want to check it out. But, you know, then you know this guy thought the seller thought he was going to sell it for at least two hundred million and break all the records, right? Because someone was going to sell a company for a billion bucks and then come and want the coolest house ever made. He sold it for about ninety. Um, hmm. Which is still a lot of money, but it was not nearly the windfall he thought he was going to get. And after all the time and all the expense and all the headache that went into it, like, I don't know how much money he really made there, right? Because it cost him, like, it cost him nearly that much to build the damn thing. So, oh. you know, so it's, yeah. Um, but I'm all for a new money buying property. That's, that's a great business for me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is Boardwalk Wealth. You may already know that commercial real estate investing is a great way to earn tax-efficient passive income. But there's a lot of sloppy underwriting out there. Projects get overbid, and deals might get structured to benefit the syndicator over the investors. You need a relationship with a syndicator that you trust. That's where Boardwalk Wealth comes in. Founder Omar Khan has years of institutional finance experience, and he offers ultra-conservative deals on underpriced properties in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. He's also committed to radical transparency investors. The best way to see if Boardwalk Wealth will protect and grow your hard-earned money is to join their email list. You'll get Omar's unique reports of real estate and have first access to their deals. Plus, as a bonus to iLab listeners, he'll send you a free copy of Deal Mindshaper, his book on how to avoid getting burned by bad syndicators. So go to boardwalkwealth.com slash ilab to sign up and get your free book today. That's boardwalkwealth.com slash I-L-A-B.
1: When these properties go on the market and they have trouble selling, what's the strategy there oftentimes? Do they just continue to lower the price until it sells? Or do you recommend that if it doesn't sell within a certain amount of time, you take it off the market and then list it in another format at some later point?
2: Yeah. So again, every market is different, right? Mm -hmm. You, You have to figure out who your buyer pool is. And if you're trying to let's keep it simple if you're building a 20 million dollar house okay and there's a lot of them in new york and la um you know there's a lot of buyers who can afford that but you have to remember too no buyer of a 20 million dollar property is homeless okay Mm. so it's not like their lease is up and they gotta buy something and they gotta move in tomorrow like that is a purely a want property you know and people who want 20 million dollar properties are most of the time A pain in the ass. Um, And so that's who your target market and buyer pool is. And so you got to be smart. Like if you can hold that property and cover the monthly expenses for two years, you know, sometimes what we tell these sellers is, you know, the average days on market for a property 20 million and above is about two years. Are you okay with that? And then they're like, well, no, 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 I'm not like, okay, well, what's your monthly carry about 70,000. Okay. Well, after 90 days, if no one shows any interest, it's going to be because of the price because we're going to do our job as marketers and we're going to put it in front of everybody. um, And we should probably then adjust the price, the listing price, because we're going to need to figure out that Delta between your monthly cost and the eventual final sale price. And in all these cities, like, you know, you've, <laughs> there's lots of taxes and there's lots mm-hmm. of new taxes. Like we've got properties, you know, that we put on the market, you know, let's say last year, you know, big ones that then all of a sudden Albany decided in the middle of the night to increase the mansion tax by multiple percent and to increase the transfer taxes because they needed to go after some demographic for money. So they went off to real estate this time. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well now these properties are going to be too expensive given the new taxes. And you, you never pro for that. But at the end of the day, it's always price, but it can be very, very, very hard to determine how and or when to adjust because sometimes people just like really good deals, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we have a house right now that was listed for $40 million and we're selling it for 16. Okay. <sighs> you now it's, and that sounds awful, right? But at the same time, that buyer's only paying 16 because it's listed for 40 and how do I adjust it. it to 30 or 20? I honestly don't know if I would have found that guy because that buyer is just the type of person in this market right now who wants to buy blood. And at 16, it's still a good deal. It's not 40, but listen, like you you can't hit the jackpot all the time. Sometimes you just need to take the money that's put in your hand, close your hand, and run.
1: Yeah, right. I think a lot of people would even be scared to make a bid if it's listed for 40 to go in and say, oh, I'll give them 15. I mean, how do you even how yeah, do you even our, get to that yeah. point?
2: Uh, w- with us, that's why you have an agent. I mean, we. Yeah. I'm very aggressive, and I coach people, and I guide them, and I I don't believe in insulting offers. Who cares? Like, mm-hmm. you offer 10 million bucks. What are they going to do? Say no? Sweet. We didn't. Hmm. You weren't buying it anyway. But if there's an opportunity where they come back and say, uh, Would you do 20? All of a sudden, oh shit! I didn't. Really? Would you po- mm-hmm. So Barry uh, Rosensternstein, I can't remember his last name, huge hedge fund guy, he paid 137 million for his compound in East Hampton. Um he then needed to sell his current place in East Hampton, which he listed for 70 and I'd shown it a couple times, um, last year had been on the market for a long time, never really adjusted the price. And I knew they were open to offers, but you know, they kept saying the number's going to, it's got to have a five in front of it, 50 to 70. Um, and then it sold yesterday for 37. So half off. And that buyer went in and just said, this is what I'll pay for it. I know you don't want it. I know you're probably gonna think it's insulting. You let me know. I'll probably be around for the next couple of days or so. And then you have a come to Jesus meeting with your seller. Do you, do you want to take the deal? You don't have to. Like, you know, the difference between New York and a lot of other places, though, is that there's no there's no pre-contracts. So you're not signing a contract with any earnest money and then getting a due diligence period. Right. In New York, it's just it's all verbal. It's mm. pretty crazy. It is the wild, wow. wild west here. It's verbal. Wow. It's email. You know, you can make an offer for anything and then just disappear off the face of the earth. It doesn't matter. You know, there's 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 no money involved. There's no nothing. Pretty um, cool. But you see, even in L.A., like. That stuff doesn't really stop people from making offers and then pulling out. Bezos was also going to buy that mountain in LA for $90 million. He he went to escrow with NDAs across the board. And then when the market fell away, he canceled the escrow and pulled out got his money back.
1: Holy crap. What else are you going to spend your money on if you're Bezos? Space space flights and mountains.
2: (laughs) Dude, one of my first big deals ever was uh, at 45 West 67th Street on the Upper West Side. A guy found me on the internet. I totally thought he was a con artist, crazy. It was a really long, insane deal, and I won't bore you with all the crazy details, but uh, eventually he bought it for $8.3 million, um, and he paid cash, and he has never been there to this day um oh my uh hasn't even come to New York to this day and there are just a lot of people who make so much money that they need to figure out what to do with it like yeah. you can only put so much money in the stock market or in your own business and you know you got to diversify and real estate over the long term is a historically safe and sound investment that you can actually use right. so Bezos and all these guys are like you know if, if you have 150 billion dollars What's 170 million of it in a one of a kind home in LA that'll never exist ever again? You don't Mm -hmm. ever have to sell it, you know? And one day you can pass it on to your kids or you'll get some other really, really rich guy that comes to you that just wants Bezos' house. Right. And I'll give you 250. And then, all right, fine, I'll sell it for 250.
1: Jesus. Well, for most of your buyers, is everyone, I mean, there's huge numbers, right? But of course, your clients, your buyers are people who have done really well for themselves for the most part. Are most people paying cash or, or using financing?
2: Yeah, most people finance. Um it's interest rates are too low, right? It's and mm-hmm. why not? Why why not take advantage of cheap credits and building up credits and so even the wealthiest people we deal with a lot of times will, will finance or they'll just or they just want something now and so they pay cash so that they can close quickly and then they just they pull out money afterwards, they'll just refi. Um yeah. And our average deal, you know, we do a lot of big deals, but our average deal is probably $3 million. Um, It's relatively pretty average in New York.
1: And are almost all these buyers buying it for their own personal use or, you know, just sort of a holding or are they uh, a lot of people running it out?
2: Uh, I would say the majority buy for themselves in some way, shape or form. You have to remember, too, New York is uh, it's an end user city. Like the, the market here is fueled by New Yorkers and people who have direct ties to New York. That's Mm -hmm. why the market tanks here so often and so hard because, you know, in one year out of every 10, a lot of international money comes in and they buy these big fancy apartments. And then that tells every developer under the sun, Oh shoot, let's go make all this money in New York city, building these big billionaire towers. And then all those people go away. And now who do you sell these to? Mm -hmm. There's only so many guys that work at Citibank that can, pay $40 million for a three bedroom apartment, <laughs> like it's, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's not like in LA where they can be spread around and there's only so much land. Like here, you just stack everyone on top of each other in sardines. You know, right. It's like, uh, um, and so, uh, but yeah, most people finance.
1: Well, Ryan, you've done incredibly well for yourself, man. What do you, what do you have ahead for you? What would you like to do, uh, in the future? You're still a young guy, but doing really well in New York.
2: Um, Uh, I mean, there's so much, man. I just want to do more and more and more every day. That's why I'm in the office right now under quarantine, when everyone else gets to stay home and watch Netflix. Like I,
1: there's (laughs) no days off
2: for me. (laughs) Yeah, essentially, yeah, to me, um, (laughs) you know, uh, real estate is not really essential in New York. I know they kind of say it is, but it's only essential in the sense that you can get transactions. They'll allow you to do transactions, mostly because it's it's just a massive cost, right? But I'm not allowed to show apartments and I shouldn't even be in the office. Um, but, you know, over I got into this business really, like sold my first apartment in 2010. So it's been 10 years. Over the next 10 years, I would love my name to be synonymous with real estate sales anywhere in the world. If you think real estate, you think my name. Um, and it's going to take a lot of work. <laughs>
1: Right. (laughs) Do you see yourself always living in New York City or the other places on the horizon?
2: There is no place like New York City, you know, like you for income, for enjoyment, for access, for convenience. You know, there's there's a lot of crazy things that can happen to New York. Like in the Mm -hmm. last two decades alone, we've had a pandemic. Uh, a financial market meltdown that wiped out the city, uh, a hurricane, so we had national uh, natural disaster and a terrorist attack. <laughs> like right.
1: so, oh yeah, you Jesus, know,
2: uh, you know. So like, the city's kind of been through everything, but it's still here. Um, and there's so much opportunity here. Like you can, like, dude, I, I, I was, I just been fired off a of soap opera. I was paying my bills by hand modeling, holding phones for AT and T. And I went across the street, got my real estate license, and a couple years later, I'm selling apartments on the other side of the street. Like it's, I can't, I can't do that anywhere else. You know, like well, you, you can't, you literally I, can't do it anywhere else.
1: I knew you had nice hair, but I didn't know, I didn't realize you had such nice hands,
2: dude. You should Google.
1: <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling
2: you this. Google my oh, no. hand, hand model.
1: We're gonna, we're gonna put this in the show notes. There's no doubt. <laughs>
2: yes. Yep, yeah, man. But hand modeling paid way better than real estate, especially at the beginning. So I kind of did both because oh. hand modeling would pay me fifteen hundred bucks a day, cash. What? You know, i yeah. You should um, still do that as a side hustle, man. An hour. Yeah. Yeah, no, not <laughs> anymore. But it's uh, you know, and I and renting apartments, you know, wasn't a sure thing, right? But mm. having people take photos of my hands for ten hours a day was a sure thing. I knew I'd at least get paid, and fifteen hundred dollars would pay my rent and all my food.
1: Yeah, great, man. Well, listen, it's been a lot of fun having you on. Um, we'll leave links Thanks to everything in the show notes. You've had You've just you, you done so well in such a little amount of time. Very inspirational to a lot of people. Love the content. Love what you're doing up in New York and your uh, enthusiasm for the city, especially given everything that it has been through. And it's you almost have to take a second to go back and reflect over the last 20 years to actually realize what it has been through. It's pretty insane. So best of luck to you in the future. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing with us.
2: Of course, man. I'll talk to you later.
0: Ooh, and Sam, I'm not gonna lie. I just binge watched a bunch of Millionaire, uh, Millionaire listing New York after this interview, <laughs> and it's it's awesome. Are you a super fan now? I think I am. I'm a fan of Ryan. Yeah, I mean, he's a cool guy. Yeah. I watched his first episode cool. when he was introduced um, in the show like six years ago or something like that, and it was funny. The opening scene was him in the shower, showing like naked <laughs> with his butt showing the camera. And he Great. he was a machine. He would say like, ah, you know, wake up every day at you know four forty five, work out for an hour, and just like basically just crush it all day every day. And it seems like five years later, he's still doing it.
1: Yeah, good old American hustle, man. He's uh, I think he's thirty five, so he's he's I'm the same age as him. I can't even say we're all the same age, Johnny, because you're two years older now. You're you're barely a millennial, man.
0: I, oh, I'm <laughs> literally the at the edge of millennial. <laughs>
1: One more year, and I would have dropped off. What's a, what's ahead of a what's ahead of a millennials? What's the generation before? The older generation. Is that the Brown. baby boomers? Are you almost yeah. a baby boomer? No, no, no. There's no way.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't, I don't know. I'm curious. Okay,
1: generations. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> we'll say you're a solidly a millennial with Ryan, of course. Good company, very good company. Did you have a chance to check out his hands? They were
0: actually very nice.
1: I'm actually, Great ve- hands. I was actually really very nice. impressed. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen hundred dollars a day to be a hand model. That's pretty good. I don't, I don't think I. Uh, mine are kind of dangly. I don't know what the word is, but they're not. Yeah, they're not Seren's uh, hands. So. so
0: I've actually, I can't be a hand model, but I've actually gotten a lot of compliments from normally cashiers and just random girls on my nails, and I've never known why, but like. At least a dozen times in my life, random girls have said, Oh, wow, you have really nice nails.
1: Well, it's probably because you gave them a big tip and you just let your hand kind of float there next to the money and they were just trying to come up with some quick <laughs> compliment.
0: No, no, this would be at like, <laughs> I've a never Ralph's noticed your nails, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. You should take a look right. next time. They're pretty nice. So I've looked it up. Right. Okay. So uh, millennials are born between 1980 and 1994. The older oh. generation. Born between 1965 and 1979
1: is Gen X. Gen X? Yeah. Why did I think Gen X was below us? It must be Gen Y's below us. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I don't know if there is a Gen Y. It just goes to to
0: Hmm. Gen Z that's born from 95 to 2015.
1: I feel like they've widened the gap of millennials because I I felt that 37, 38 was the the cuss. That would put you born in like 87, 88. But if it's going to 94, they're just – yeah, there's a lot of millennials now. Yeah. Wait. No, 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 no. no. no that's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Yeah. So ninety four is the young end. Yeah. And then what what is it? Eighty three at the high end? No, at nineteen eighty. So you, the oldest you can be is thirty eight. Okay.
0: 40. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, eighty would be nineteen eighty would be forty. Because I was no. born in eighty five and I'm thirty five. Well, I guess it depends on what um what monthly birthday is, but <laughs>
0: anyways. <laughs> Just <laughs> further proof that you can uh, you can run a business and do finance without knowing any basic math. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, or know how to read.
0: <laughs> yeah, but aside from knowing how to read and doing math, I thought this was a really interesting episode. I mean, first, I really liked kind of seeing behind the scenes because normally when you see someone on TV, especially on a reality show, you don't really get to know them. You, you don't, you know... And Ryan just seems such a, like a down-to-earth guy. And I really liked hearing his backstory on how he started in real estate and how really anybody can, with a drive and hustle can build a very successful business.
1: I agree completely. Man, the story of him going out and just hanging out around New York in 2008 and picking up clients was awesome. Um, so he used to just like, go out to Starbucks and he figured, well, if people are in Starbucks – in 2008 in like this great recession and they're buying lattes, then certainly they have enough money to be one of his clients. Right. The people are still doing yeah. pretty well, but I love it, man. I, I, were you, did you visit New York during the great recession? The only reason I ask is I happened to be there when, uh, what was it? Bear Stearns went out. Cause I had a friend that was working at Bear Stearns. They just got hired and then just got fired two weeks later. And I was there and I was like, this is all mad. This is just a crazy time. To be graduating college, which was like it was the year I got out of school, and I'm like, I don't know, this has got to be the worst time in the history to be <laughs> to be getting out of college and looking. For yeah, a job. I, so
0: I've been in New York a bunch of times because I had a friend who went to Columbia out there, and I remember the first few times I went, you know, before the you know before 2008, people were just spending money like like nothing, just like hotcakes, and mm-hmm. afterwards. It was it was completely different. I mean, people were just so cautious with, you know, with even buying drinks at a bar. I mean, it just like it was it it went from picking up a tab for everybody to you know limiting themselves and saying you know what? ah maybe I will just have a beer you know mm-hmm. like, instead of having a a, a whiskey mm-hmm. or something.
1: I wonder if people are, are ever going to be able to, or actually they will, of course. But how long is it going to take people to go back to their normal spending and binging habits? Everyone right now is experiencing. The cheapest month that they've ever had expense wise in probably the last five years, right? I mean, you're literally just buying food and maybe ordering some products to your house off of e com But I guarantee everyone's spending is significantly down. And people are probably some a lot of people out there, like if they have a house like this with some property and stuff, they're probably like, you know what? This wasn't all that bad. Like I learned some yoga, I learned a couple new skills, I started a little online. Gig, I spent some quality time with loved ones, and I spent half as much as I normally spend. It's going to be like going back and ramping up your spending to to the heights. It's going to, I feel like it's going to take a little bit of time and adjusting. You know, that's the the logical, rational mm-hmm. thing. But we have to forget
0: how strong FOMO is and how strong the power of wanting to kind of one up everyone is, or be someone or just be significant. Right now, it's very easy to. Not worry about that because no one else is trying to one up you. Yeah. I mean, even if you think about it, the, the traffic on Instagram has dropped because less people are not posting as many photos. They're not showing like, Oh, look how, you know, how cool my life is. Look what I did this weekend.
1: Yeah. It's a good thing for the world.
0: Yeah. And right now, like nobody feels like the need to show off, you know, but I guarantee once things open back up and people can spend money, somebody's going to, I mean, somebody's gonna slip and be like, all right, well, like if they're doing it, I gotta do it and it's it's gonna it's gonna come bouncing back very, very fast, I think.
1: Yeah, the FOMO is real, man. Actually the only FOMO I've had from Instagram in the last month is your photo in the tub, which isn't even real.
0: Ah, see and and that's <laughs> something you have to remember is most of the things we see on Instagram or on online are not real. I mean, it's
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, literally, it's a whole industry of trying to make people feel less about themselves unless they buy something, unless they own something, for them to Shiny you know ob-
1: to be happy. Yeah. Shiny objects reflect a lot more than they reveal. Mm. Wise words. Wise words. That is very wise. I love it. Yeah, but um,
0: I've also like you know, it's funny is when I watch YouTube, half of my property uh, videos that I watch are things like. You know, most expensive closet in the world. Or like, look what you can get for $18 million. Or look at this, you know, $182 million mansion. And the other half Mm. is tiny homes and van life and minimizing. It's really a a weird dichotomy.
1: Absolutely, man. But it it puts things in perspective, right? The the, the first time I saw something like that was in, I think, was that old uh, men's magazine in the US? Was it FHM? FHM, I think. Yeah, it could yeah, be. and they were they had an article in there that was talking about what four thousand dollars buys you in the world, and it, it it was that whole range from it can get you a bottle of Dom Pérignon at one club in Las Vegas and a table for four people, or and every, all these things in between, all the way down to it can buy you a year on a vineyard in Argentina with unlimited meat uh, and like these incredible cuisines for a year, house, wine, and unlimited eating for $4,000. And at that point I was like, I was, I was before the drinking age. I think I was like 16. I'm like, that sounds amazing. And for that point on, I'm like, I got to get down to Argentina, man. This just sounds too good. But when you, when you look at these things to your point, Johnny, it really shows you just how fast you can blow money on ridiculous things. And if you search for it, just how fast you can find, amazing values all around the world
0: yeah but that's a big key point is around the world and if you ask most new yorkers especially people who live in manhattan they'll say yeah i know i can get a place that's 10 times bigger for 10 times less money but i want to live in manhattan i want to live you know in the city and to them it's worth it and they're like you know what if i have to live in this cramped you know place with ton no way too many people i'm going to spend you know, $20 million and get an, a nice condo instead of a, a, you know, a crappy, you know, small you know studio apartment
1: because mm-hmm. they need their space. And they're like, all right, well, that's just what it costs. So that's what I'm going to buy. This is a lifestyle you and I have never lived, Johnny. Probably will never be part of it. But this is, I mean, this is like our friend Kevin Shea in Hong Kong. And as you heard Ryan talk about New York, like New York is where he wants to be. He is the man there. He has this great, incredible network. It's similar to, to kevin in hong kong and like when you're there and you're building up this network around you and you're improving your lifestyle and becoming more and more influential that's got to be really cool and i I can't relate to it because the closest i was ever to that was like being the president of my fraternity in college but nothing like to the level that these guys have done it and um you know here from ryan he's he's 35 he's been incredibly successful and that's where he wants to be he wants to be in new york he wants to continue to do better and better and better it's uh yeah, it's admirable,
0: yeah, and I can't blame them. I think if you are successful in New York, I mean first off, there's much more opportunity. So if you want to make 200 or three hundred thousand dollars a year, New York's a good place to do it. You know If you want to make a million dollars a year, New York's a good place to do it. And if you can afford it and you want to enjoy you know if you want that hustle and bustle, you want that energy, you want to be in, in Manhattan,
1: you know mm-hmm. call up Ryan. You know, he'll set you up the place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I just, I, have you. We got to list some of his listings there. But I just, I loved what he was saying about how, you know, I got to be honest. Seven, ten million dollars in New York, just kind of someone that's doing okay. So, yeah, it just puts in perspective like how much money is there and how much of the world economy touches New York in some capacity.
0: Yeah. It is crazy, and it's a it's a place where people park a lot of money. I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that if it wasn't for money coming in from China and from other foreign investors, the real estate market in New York would not be as expensive as it
1: Absolutely. is. Absolutely, man, Johnny. So, any more takeaways from this episode? It was super great to have Ryan on. I thought it was really entertaining. Looking forward to going back and listening.
0: Yeah, it for me, it, like just hearing his story and how someone can come up from you know. Like literally literally someone with no money and, and thinking, all right, well, what can I do to kind of get by and build something for myself to where he is now? I mean, because he didn't get... I mean, you have to remember this is a lot of people assume he's famous because he's on TV or he's successful because he's on TV. But you have to remember that to get to that point first, you have to already be a good real estate agent. So... You know, it definitely, you know, threw uh, gasoline on his fire, but he was already on track to, to getting
1: there. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing he, we didn't talk about on the episode, but I know he's a big proponent of is improv and learning to do improv, whether no matter what business you're in, knowing how to improvise in certain situations is really important. So he always says he tells people that work for him and, and to ask him for advice. Just go out and take an improv class. Get really comfortable because doing improv has got to be extremely uncomfortable for a lot of people right especially as you get older and older so um, i think that's really good advice it's something i'm maybe something i'll do in the future um but it's probably very good advice for especially younger people starting out because if you can go into an improv class and get comfortable it's gonna make you a lot more comfortable and probably a lot more successful in all of your future endeavors
0: yeah i definitely definitely agree uh so yeah big thanks to to ryan for coming on uh this week. And uh, also, thanks to our sponsor, uh, Boardwalk Wealth, with uh, Omar Khan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, so, Omar, uh, we've had him on the, the podcast a couple of times. I've actually invested in a deal with him in Austin, Texas, on a multifamily property. But I, m- more than anything, I find his material that he puts out super helpful. Um, you know, we've mentioned like getting on fundraisers, newsletters, very similar. If you want to learn more about multifamily property without the hustle and bustle of, of sales stuff, join Omar's mailing list. It's, um, it's incredibly pointed and you'll learn a lot just by reading through it. Also for Ryan's stuff, man, check out his website. He's got a great website, ryansurrent.com. You can also check out his real estate side of things, surrentteam.com. And as Johnny said, if you have any luxury real estate needs, either on the buy or sell side, especially in the U S in major hubs, Give him a shout. See if he can go to work for you. Yeah. And he's also got a he's also got a book, um, Sell It Like Sir Hunt, which I'm going to read and I'm looking forward to doing yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that would be really, really cool. Um, yeah. And if you guys want to check out Boardwalk Wealth, uh, we'll have a link for you in the bio. But I believe it's boardwalkwealth.com slash ilab. That's I-L-A-B. Yeah. And big thanks to everyone who's left reviews on the iTunes store as well for the podcast as well as our Patreons. You guys help keep this – show going i hope you guys have enjoying all this quarantine content with you know three plus episodes uh-huh. a month instead of us going down uh to one so big thanks to all the patreons if you want to support the show just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on patreon and this week i want to thank hilton 90 who says five stars beginning investor you guys rock I have a great income, but want to become more knowledgeable on how to invest wisely to secure my retirement. I pre- appreciate your advice and love your podcasts. I listen every day. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Hilton. And yeah, thanks to all of you guys. spice guys. We'll see you all
1: next <laughs> week and with some more uh, knockoff uh, World War II memorabilia <laughs> on our heads. Coming to uh, <laughs> eBay soon
0: under Sam Marks. <laughs> yeah
1: got to generate that quarantine income. Yeah. All right. See you guys.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If
1: you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.